over the past year there have been there have been things that have been hard for everyone at the moment the situation in the uk looks like it's improving but that's not the case in other countries and other parts of the world and looking forward to being able to live normally has become a real test of endurance even now there's a sense that we don't want to get our hopes up too much in case there's another setback in the battle against this coronavirus. Holding on to hope is one of the themes of this letter to the Hebrews that we started looking at a few weeks ago now. And as Tim said last week, the hope that the writer of this letter is talking about is not what we would call wishful thinking. I hope it won't rain on the day we're planning to have a barbecue or when we go for our trip to the beach. No, the hope that is written about in this letter is described as a promised eternal inheritance. Now, I don't know if you've ever inherited anything, or if you're looking forward, perhaps, to the day when you might inherit some money, or a house even, or something else of value. The size of that inheritance could have a big impact. Imagine, for example, having an elderly relative who's very rich and generous, and who has amassed an enormous amount of wealth. So uh, property, land, possessions, everything you could imagine. And all of it has been promised to you in their will. What a difference that would make to your life, don't you think? Guaranteed financial security in the future and help right now in paying unexpected bills or anything else you might need. The very last thing you would think of doing in that kind of situation would be to cut off ties with your relative or leave the family or do anything in fact that might cause harm to your relationship. Now right at the beginning of the letter to the Hebrews the writer tells us that Jesus has been appointed heir of all things. The whole letter in fact is basically about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, his greatness, his superiority and we're also told about his humanity that we We're all of the same family, brothers and sisters of Jesus, sharing in his inheritance, sharing in his glory. The difficulty is that these are not things that we can see here and now. They are things that we can read about, things that have been promised, but which await us in the future. The writer of this letter tells us that Jesus has entered heaven, that he's seated at God's right hand which is a a position of great authority and glory. And that at some point in the future, we will join him to share in his eternal kingdom and glory. And that is truly a great promise and a hope that's worth holding on to. In the meantime, we're told in this letter that we are being made holy, being made perfect, learning what it means to be patient and trusting and faithful and obedient, and that this refining, maturing, perfecting process is happening in the midst of challenges and hardships and difficulties and temptations. In some ways, the the message of this letter is that life is far from easy, but we have Jesus who helps us. We can fix our thoughts on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus who speaks to us from heaven to encourage us and to warn us. Jesus, who has set us free from the power of the devil. Jesus, who gives us a perfect example to follow.
So with that in mind, let's now read chapter 4 and see what else this letter has to say to us. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above he says they shall never enter my rest. Therefore since it still remains for some to enter that rest. And since those who had formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience. God again set a certain day calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David. As in the passage already quoted. Today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts for if Joshua had given them rest God would not have spoken would not have spoken later about another day there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God but anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience for the word of God is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. One of the things that is striking about this passage is the number of times that the phrase enter God's rest is repeated. If you have a Bible, take a look for yourselves in chapter three. The words enter God's rest appear twice. And then in chapter four, we have the same phrase another seven times. And then on top of that, we have the word rest on its own mentioned an additional four times in chapter four. So rest is something that we all need. Many of us are are exhausted at the end of this year of restrictions and successive lockdowns. We're tired of being confined and we're tired of working under difficult conditions, or perhaps we're tired of taking care of the needs of others, or we're tired of not being able to see people that we would love to see. For the writer of this letter, entering God's rest is absolutely vital, something not to be missed. And there's a clear concern that that missing out or falling short is a real possibility for some people. The letter to the Hebrews is full of comparisons and parallels with things that are rooted in the history of God's people. So again and again, the author mentions things that were written about in the earlier parts of the Bible, long before Jesus was even born. But the message is that God speaks today through all that's happened, all the things that that were written about, even if they were written a long, long time ago. We're told that the word of God is alive and active. It's not dead. It's not obsolete. It's not redundant. And so in a a psalm that King David wrote probably a thousand years before Jesus was born, he makes reference to something that happened maybe a thousand years before, before he was born. But it's something that is so important that even, even today we're still 
We still remember it, we still talk about it. The Israelites, who are the ancestors of the Hebrews that this letter was written to, they were slaves for hundreds of years in Egypt. And then with miracles and signs and wonders, God rescued them from slavery. Uh, He led them out of Egypt and he brought them to the edge of the land that he promised to give to them. And at that moment, he spoke to them through Moses and he told them to go and take possession of the land. He wanted them to enter the land. God had revealed to them who he was. He was the, the God who created the universe, the only true God. And he demonstrated to them again and again that he cared for them that they were his people, his special people, and that he was more powerful than all the gods and rulers and armies in Egypt. But the people refused to go into the land, and they turned away from God. They even complained that God hated them, that he brought them out of Egypt in order to destroy them. If you'd like to read about it, then you'll find the full account of what happened in chapter 1 of Deuteronomy. And it's this incident, this moment of rebellion that David had in mind when he wrote the psalm that the author of this letter is is quoting again and again in chapters 3 and 4. It was a desperately disappointing moment in the history of God's people, a moment filled with regret and something that they would never be able to forget. It led to them wandering in the desert for 40 years until they'd all died. And only after that was it possible for their children to have the opportunity with Joshua to enter the promised land. So after 400 years in Egypt and 40 years in the desert, we can understand why entering the promised land could be thought of as entering God's rest. It was rest from making bricks out of straw for the Egyptians. and It was rest from wandering in the desert eating the same food day after day, the manna that fell from heaven. But the the writer of this letter, he's realised that there must be another rest to enter into, a better rest, a better promised land. He's realised that there must be something more, something permanent, something eternal, an inheritance that's not just for the people who lived thousands of years ago, but for everyone who hears God's voice today. We're told that the people who turned away from God after they'd experienced his his miraculous protection and his amazing provision of food and water in the desert, that they turned away from, from God for two reasons. The first reason was unbelief, and the second reason was disobedience. In fact, right at the end of chapter three, we have these words. To whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? And then straight after it, we see that they were not able to enter his rest because of their disbelief. The writer of this letter wants us to understand that these are heart issues. It's in our hearts that we go astray or drift away from God. And whenever God speaks, we need to pay close attention to what our heart response is because it's that which reveals what we really think of God. In chapter 3, the author talks about how we can avoid being hardened by sin's deceitfulness because hardness of heart is a huge problem. 
but God has a solution to that problem. And his solution is that he continues to speak and he continues to remind us of the hope of heaven and the promise of eternal life. He speaks to what we truly desire and he offers us what we desperately need, which is help and forgiveness, redemption and transformed lives. Later on in this letter, we'll discover that Jesus has already entered the most holy place. He's provided purification for sins. So that even if everything in our lives is uncovered and all the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts are laid bare before God's eyes, we still have nothing to fear. Because this rest is promised and we obtain it by believing rather than by earning it. We who have believed enter that rest, it says in verse 3. Anyone who enters God's rest must rest from their own works in verse 10. And that makes perfect sense. When we stop trying to achieve perfection ourselves, we call that entering God's rest. Entering heaven is something that awaits us at the end of our lives, but we can experience God's rest and peace now because we know that we're not trying to earn our place in heaven through more and more good works, but rather that Jesus has already done everything that is needed through the sacrifice of his perfect, obedient life. So is that it, you might be wondering? Is there really nothing at all for us to do? And the answer is no. We can't make ourselves righteous in God's sight. Jesus has taken care of that. We simply need to believe in him. But we do have a responsibility, and it's a responsibility towards one another, a responsibility that the author is fulfilling by writing this letter. You see, a natural consequence uh, of understanding and believing what Jesus has done for us is a heartfelt concern for other people. The writer of this letter tells us to encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And since the promise of entering God's rest still stands, let us be careful that no one be found to have fallen short of it. And let us make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. It's clear that God wants everyone to know the truth about Jesus. And God wants those of us who already believe and have entered his rest to share our knowledge and love of Jesus with those around us. There's a lot more to learn from this letter, but for now, let's pray and ask God to help us all to enter into his rest. And let's ask God to help us to encourage one another daily. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the amazing way you rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt and for the way you've rescued us too from slavery, from, th from things that would otherwise separate us from you forever. Lord, thank you for what we can learn from the past and for speaking to us, to our hearts, in ways that draw us to worship you. Jesus, please help us to enter where you have already gone. And please soften our hearts where we've become hardened by sin. And show us how we can keep encouraging each other through your grace every day. For we ask it in your name. Amen.